When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back into Gamecock Central GM. Drawing near the close here, but this has been a really fun sort of mini-series, and I know I've learned a lot about everything, especially offensive line, especially all these positions, the draft process, and things like that. As I left my house this morning, my roommate said, all right, teach me some things. I said, I'm not going to teach you anything, but Wilhelms will. Uh, the process has been fascinating. This has really been a lot of fun, and the draft is less than a week away, so we're going to be blowing through these last couple position groups. We're going to finish off the defense today talk a little bit about linebackers and then get into some defensive back talk and that will leave the quarterbacks in the stacked wide receiver class for early next week we're recording this friday morning draft obviously going to happen virtually next thursday and will i i know this isn't exactly like your like your area of expertise the thing you care the most about but we haven't even talked about it yet on this podcast are you expecting anything unusual or funny or terrible to happen given that the draft is all going to take place virtually on thursday I'm not necessarily something like funny or interesting, but one thing I'm looking forward to with the draft is, um, and I think or it was uh, Daniel Jeremiah on um, Twitter the other day tweeted out he's really interested to see what um, what happens when GMs have to think for themselves. Because um, we just talk about you go to so many pro days, you go to all this different stuff, and that you get this consensus um, throughout the NFL. Um, on which guys are the best and which guys aren't the best. And those aren't necessarily based on one person's opinion. It's a bunch of people come together and you get this group thick mentality. So I'm really interested to see what happens when every team has to do their own draft prep uh, versus getting to rely on other people's draft prep. Um, so I think we'll see some guys go really, really early that were like, I had him in the fourth round. Mm. Um, and we'll have some guys that are just kind of sitting there like, all right, when are you going to go, especially like some of these guys being invited to the, um, I guess the, I don't know how they're virtual drafts. Some of the, the draft picks are being invited to, I guess, zoom calls on there. I have no idea. I'm interested to see how that works out. Um, but I do think you have some kind of awkward weights because most of the time when they invite guys to the draft, they already know where they're going to be drafted. And this year you've got some guys that it's just completely up in the air. They could be a day one guy. They could be a day two guy. Uh, you know, you might have a guy that somebody has a first-round grade on that another team has a fifth-round grade on. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just really interested to see kind of what the process looks like this year when you don't have other teams to rely on. Yeah, I think the entertainment value of the NFL draft just as sort of a television event is higher this year than it's ever been for a couple reasons. One, we don't have anything else going on. There are no other sports to talk about, so all eyes are going to be on the NFL draft. And two, as you mentioned, like all the things that – could I don't want to even necessarily say go wrong, but could go differently than they normally do. I hadn't thought about you know the the fact that the GMs are are essentially I mean yeah they're going to have their war room probably via Zoom or they're going to be texting each other or whatever. But at the end of the day, it's it's going to be him making the decision if he wants to 
flip at the last second, he can do that. And so maybe this draft will be a truer reflection of the philosophies of each team's GM than we normally see, which could be fun. And the other thing that I'll be looking for, obviously suits at all drafts, especially the NFL draft and what guys are wearing and watching them get up and hug their family and get excited and walk across the stage and put on the hat. I'll be curious to see if guys try to, you know, have their own fun with it and have a little pageantry at their own house. You know, are they going to stand up from their couch and, you know, sort of walk into the kitchen and put on a hat or anything like that? Are they going to dress up or is it going to be a bunch of guys just like in T-shirts and slides, just like, all right, cool, I'm going to go play for the Browns now? Will Javon Kinlaw wear a shirt? That's the real question. <laughs> oh, man, if he doesn't, I have a feeling he's going to win the draft, and he may win the draft anyway. But um, anyway, we have all that to look forward to in just about six days, probably from when you're listening to this. As I mentioned, recording this Friday morning, so you're probably listening to this on Friday afternoon or over the weekend. Um, <clears throat> but we have a few more position groups to get through. As I mentioned, we're going to blow through the rest of the defense today. And, uh, Will, as you and I were kind of mapping this out, you – realized that a lot of the outside linebackers that would have normally been in the linebacker conversation we kind of talked about with defensive ends because your way of thinking about that was just more as sort of an edge rusher. So the group of linebackers that you have left here, as I'm looking at your draft network board, are more of your prototypical inside linebackers, you know, quarterback of the defense, the Luke Keekley, you know, Bobby Wagner types, which, you know, has an interesting place in the NFL right now. Obviously, the, the game is spread out more than ever and defenses have adjusted and there are teams that are ostensibly running what are traditionally sub packages as their base packages. Guys, you know, just running out there mostly in nickel with sort of a fifth defensive back instead of a second linebacker. In your opinion, has that made the linebacker position less important or more important since there are fewer of them on the field? I think it's, I don't know if it's changed the importance. I think it's shifted the dynamic of what you're looking for in a linebacker a little bit more. Um, so, for example, Luke Keekley, when he came out in the draft, linebacker was still a very important, you know, Brian Urlacher was, I guess, towards the end of his career. But you're still looking at that kind of like guy that's going to stand there in the middle, call out plays on defense and and all that kind of stuff, kind of quarterback of the defense, like you said. Um, But Luke Keekley ended up kind of leading this revolution of he was so good because he was so rangy. He, I mean, most of his tackles were outside um, of the halfback. Um, he's not, you know, sticking his nose in there every single play and, and making a lot of tackles. I know that does happen, um, but a lot of what like Keekley would do would be to make all of these tackles away from his position um, and then to play the pass and to be able to um, cover a tight end or cover a running back. And then every once in a while you'll see a guy, you know, slide out and cover a receiver. So I, th- I think it's putting more of an emphasis on pass coverage um, and more of an emphasis on can you tackle outside of the tackles versus um, you know, kind of the, the old 80s model of I'm just going to run straight at the offensive line in every single play and mm-hmm. see if I can, um, you know, stick my nose in there and get a tackle, you know, right behind the center or something like that. Um, so I think that's more of what's happening is um, you're, you're seeing teams with, with good the best linebackers are the ones that can play sideline to sideline. Um, and to me, that's one of the most exciting things to, to see on defense is seeing a guy that can, you know, make a tackle 20 yards from his position. Um, I'm always a fan of that. Yeah, I mean, no question about it. And I mean, there's there's no mistake and no coincidence that the guy at the very top of this list, by far and away, it seems, is Isaiah Simmons. And we can talk about him specifically in just a second. And I mean, very much fits that mold and, you know, more athletic than Luke Keekley. As you mentioned, Keekley still did enough that sort of fit the bill of that traditional middle linebacker. And obviously his IQ, his you know intelligence, the way that he saw the game, the way that I, I love listening to opposing quarterbacks talk about going up against Luke Keekley because it's really 
as much as it's a cliche to talk about, you know, quarterback and Mike linebacker making adjustments and making calls being like a chess match, it felt like it really was. And Luke Keekley seemed to win that nine out of ten times. So while he had all that, he also had the range and athleticism and obviously excellent pass coverage ability, as you mentioned, uh, that made him the best linebacker in the game for literally an entire decade. And Simmons, even more athletic than Keekley. I, I don't know, you know, the rest of the game, the intangible part of the game, I don't have any reason to believe that it's subpar, but it's it's hard to be as good as Luke Keekley. I mean, that's a real once-in-a-generation kind of guy. But before we talk about Simmons and the rest of the guys on this list, what are the things that you're looking for? Is this mostly a tape evaluation? Is this mostly a metrics evaluation or some combination of the two? It's a combination of the two, um, especially because of the way we grouped our linebackers and, and put a lot of them as edge rushers that will play off the ball. Um, I'm looking more for um, how do you play – can you play zone coverage? Can you play a basic you know, zone coverage either outside or inside? Can, do you have the athleticism to stick around with a running back here or there? Um, or are you a guy that it's third down so they have to take you off the field because you're not athletic enough to keep up with the offense? Um, I'm looking more for that. I don't care if you can blitz. I don't care if you can um, really stick your nose in and play the run because my thought process there is the difference between a great linebacker um, at playing the run and a really bad linebacker at playing the run is maybe a yard or two every five runs. Mm. Not a big deal to me. And if it really is a big deal to a team, you can always get subbed out on like third and one because that happens, what, two times a game maybe. Um, you know, if you need to be subbed out on a, on a goal line package, there are going to be some late round guys that we can find that can literally just fill that um, mold of we're going to fill the gap and try to make a tackle, you know, when they're trying to run up the, mid- uh, run up the middle. So I'm less concerned about um, their their blitzing ability or anything like that, and more concerned with can you make tackles, especially outside the tackles, because we're seeing a lot of teams run more outside zone, um, a lot of one-cut system and stuff like that against the run. And then we're seeing all these screen passes, bubble screens, um, little just hitch routes and all this kind of stuff outside. Can you be a linebacker that makes a tackle outside um, – you know, outside of where you're lined up, and can you do it quickly? Or is it going to take you an extra five steps to get there versus another guy in the class that might be able to get there in three? Um, so I'm looking for a lot of reaction. Um, I, I actually evaluate linebackers a lot like I do safeties. Um, but I'm less concerned about how fast you are and more concerned about do you recognize the play, do you see what's happening, and can you do you have the ability to get there to make a play? Given that you evaluate those positions similarly, I'm going to start you with this then as we talk about Isaiah Simmons, who's going to be one of the first guys taken in the draft, the first linebacker, maybe the first safety, depending on how you want to look at him. You have him in your draft network board listed as a linebacker. Are you confident that's where he's going to play in the NFL? Not at all. Um, I put him as a linebacker because draft network lists him as a linebacker, but he'd be <laughs> the number one safety too. Um, the thing about this, we knew he was athletic. Um, we knew he played all over – um, all over the defense. I've watched a lot of film because I think that if he lasts, he's a guy that the Panthers going to take at seven. Um, so uh, if he does last that long, Panthers better take him at seven. And the joke I've made is that the Panthers have so many holes on defense. It really would be a bonus to, I mean, they, they could take a corner in the first round. They could take a defense tackle in the first round. They could take a defensive end in the first round. They could take an inside linebacker, outside linebacker, safety. They need all those positions. So might as well just take six at one time and take Isaiah Simmons. 
um, because he he would probably be the number two corner on this list if he just played exclusively at corner. But he's six foot four, two hundred and thirty pounds, and so because of that, he'll play more linebacker, safety. A lot of times when we talk about tweeners, we get a little bit nervous because we don't know where they'll play. But he is, in my opinion, just a rare exception where it's you know his versatility is so elite that he would be great at any of those positions rather than decent at all of them. Well, you um, anticipated my next question, because and I saw you going back and forth with uh, some folks on Twitter about this, I think just earlier this week, uh, you know, some people saying, yeah, you know, people assume that he's going to be great because he's athletic, but how often have guys succeeded in the NFL without having a position? And look, Isaiah Simmons is an incredible athlete, but there have been a lot of incredible athletes that have gone to the NFL and not really had a spot. So what makes you confident that Simmons is going to land somewhere and that it's not just a matter of him settling, that he really will be, you know, changing maybe even within a game, but at least on a week-by-week basis, maybe depending on matchups and sort of wherever a team needs him. Why is he going to succeed where others have failed? I think what people fail to talk about, and I think there's both sides. There's the people that say, like, you can't exist without a position. You know, you're just not going to succeed. And then you've got the other side that says, but yes, he's so athletic. They fail to kind of put those together and look at, okay, how is this athletic guy playing the position? And a lot of guys that you see, super, super athletic guys coming out of college um, that didn't really have a position, didn't have a position, and they just kind of went in there and said, okay, make plays. Mm. But if you look at the way Clemson used him, um, you know, I know we're on a South Carolina podcast. I know people don't like Brent Venables. um, But the way he was used was not haphazardly kind of thrown out there like, yeah, you're athletic, go do something. Mm. Um, week to week, he had very different – they would line him up and say, okay, this week you're an inside linebacker because we need you to, you know, to stop the run against this team. We need you to match up with this guy. And it wasn't just them throwing him out there, pointing to a guy on offense and saying, okay, go follow that guy. The um, example I think of is um, remember the Titans where Petey's never played defense in his life. And they're like, we don't need you to go play defense. We just need you to go cover number 11 or whatever. Mm. Um, and that's not what they're doing with Isaiah Simmons. He's running intricate, um, difficult plays, um, difficult schemes within each position that he's playing. And he just has that plus athleticism that allows him to play other positions. Um, think about it this way. He would be um, – he's six foot four, which is, you know, excellent. We like that. Um, a lot of – linebackers i think that's one of the things that's changed that linebacker is um you know brian Urlacher wasn't that tall um ray lewis wasn't that tall you're seeing a lot of taller linebackers now a lot of taller guys that look almost like a safety um that are playing linebacker and, and not necessarily um they're not necessarily undersized it's just they're they're taller so they've got a different frame um and he looks so good at linebacker i might put him at safety though um, just because and I think what she said earlier, like kind of a week to week thing. If I'm say the Panthers, I think one thing I'm looking at is you have to have somebody that lines up with Alvin Kamara. You've got to have somebody that can, that can cover him one-on-one, um, that can follow him around. So you play the saints twice a year. You look at the Buccaneers, they probably get the best wide receiver core in the NFL. You've got to have somebody that can match up with some of those guys. Um, Chris Alvin's a matchup nightmare. Um, and there aren't a lot of corners that can match up with him. Isaiah Simmons can go on the outside and match up with a guy like that. 
Um, if you look at some of his film, he's playing with elite wide receivers and running for him with him stride for stride, looking like a corner as he does that. It's not like he looks clunky and awkward and he's just really fast so he can make it up. Um, he looks like he can play all of those positions. Um, and if you showed me one game and I've never seen him before, I might be fooled into thinking that he was just that one position. Um, if you show me a game where he's playing a lot of corner, I might be fooled into thinking he's just a slot corner, or I might be fooled into thinking he's just a safety. If I watch another game where he's playing a lot of safety, um, but then you take his body of work as a whole and go, Oh wow. He can actually play all of these positions really, really well. And then the last thing with it is, I mean, he's faster than Saquon Barkley at 6'4", 230, which at that athleticism, if you've got a guy that even has somewhat of a plan for how to use him, um, even if it's just, you know, hey, that guy's athletic, go follow him, he can do that. So what I'm hearing is that his bust potential is completely contingent on him going to the wrong team and having a team mm-hmm. just try to use him like Petey as opposed to giving him the kind of direction that has helped him excel at Clemson? Exactly, exactly. I think one thing that you can't do if I were a defensive coordinator is eventually he's going to be able to play every position um, and do all sorts of things for you. But I don't think you can come in as a defensive coordinator and say, okay, we're just going to have you play everywhere. Because the speed of the NFL game is a little bit different. I would love to see a team slowly start to implement different ways to use him every week instead of just throwing him out there and putting him at 12 different positions. Because you've got to learn more scheme stuff you've got to learn more um you know he's got to get a little bit better at some of the techniques if he's going to play corner he's obviously got to get get a little bit better at um you know at the technique there to become like an nfl corner um or safety or things like that so i would like to see him kind of eased into that um versus just kind of thrown into the fire and saying okay we liked your college tape now do the exact same thing you did in college but in the nfl What's the gap between Simmons and, at one and your number two guy on this list and Patrick Queen from LSU? It's huge, um, and it has nothing to do with Patrick Queen. It's just the fact that Isaiah Simmons is that good. Um, but I do like Patrick Queen a lot. Um, he's more of a your prototypical linebacker, um, and his best trait is probably his play recognition and his, his processing skills. There are a lot of times where he almost runs a play for the offense, Um like there, there are times where, um, you know, as a linebacker, you, you have to have certain keys as to what to look at. And there are times where he'll, like, see a guard start to pull and take one step, and he's in the hole because he knows that that guard's pulling. Um, and so he'll go and beat the guard to where he's supposed to be um, because he's not looking at the running back to say, okay, where's the running back going to end up? He's looking at the rest of the play to say, this is where the play's going. Because of that, he guesses a little bit which I have no problem with because, again, I think as we said, if you make a mistake as a linebacker in the run game, it's usually, unless three other players make a mistake, it's not huge. If you make a mistake as a cornerback and you jump a route and it's not the correct route, it's a touchdown every single time. Um, if you're a linebacker and you run into the wrong gap, you run, run yourself out of the play, per se, you maybe give up an extra five yards on a run. So it's a risk worth taking if it's going to be something that allows you to have an extra tackle for loss or something like that. And on film, that's what Patrick Queen's doing is he constantly is taking risks to lead to bigger plays, whether that's interceptions, forced fumbles, tackles for loss, um, you know, just getting offenses off schedule. He's doing that all the time. Um, he's not huge, but I like him a lot, um, especially as an inside linebacker.
as complex as NFL offenses have gotten with a lot more motion with RPOs and things like that, has uh, play diagnosing, uh, you know, taking, I guess, educated guesses and like like to, to, I guess, go back to what you were saying about him taking some chances, taking some risks. Has that gotten to the point where it, it maybe makes up for you being a little bit undersized, a little bit slower? Because so much of making plays on defense in the NFL is, is knowing where the ball's going to be with so much misdirection, you know, again, in RPOs and, and motion and things like that. Well, absolutely. And then, you know, I think we talk about Kyle Shanahan's offense every single week um, on this podcast. But um, you, you think about the 49ers and what the 49ers can do to take elite defensive players out of out of place, just with misdirection, with motion, um, you know, window dressing. It, you know, they have a plan for how to do that. And so even the most athletic players a lot of times can't get to a position because you've got so many offensive lines that are so good at taking players out of place. Um, and so I think you do like to have that guy that can, you know, let's say an offense is marching down the field. If they throw a pick, you know, it doesn't matter how many how much yardage they got before that. If you can have that one big play, I think we, we've seen that a lot. I think we talked about that a little bit with the defensive line of, um, if you get beat 10 times and then you end up um, beating the offensive lineman, having a sack, forcing a fumble, and returning it for a touchdown, it doesn't matter how many times you got beat before that. Mm-hmm. You could do that. If, you know, if you did that once a game, you'd be the greatest defensive end in the history of football. <laughs> um, and so I think we do have a – we're skewing a little bit more towards the big play, both on defense and offense. Um, and so I think that risk factor there, we don't – hate that as much as we would have 10 years ago after Simmons you said big gap from him to Queen what's sort of the next grouping that you're looking at because the next couple guys you have we just talked about Patrick Queen you have Kenneth Murray from Oklahoma Akeem Davis gather from Appalachian State Willie Gay Jr. from Mississippi State is that sort of where the cutoff is or do you group these next eight guys kind of in the same territory I think it's really a one gap two gap three and then a bunch of these guys after that, um, I don't love Kenneth Murray as much as a lot of um, a, a lot of mock draft experts do. I do think he's limited by scheme. Um, the guy he reminds me of, and this is this is not necessarily from a um, ability perspective or anything like that, but just kind of a, a athletic profile um, where he played in college, where he'll play in the NFL, um, is Bryce Allen Williams. Um, obviously you know, a little bit faster, um, is about the same size, just has a little bit more of what the NFL is looking for um, than Bryson did. But he has a lot of that same kind of making a lot of tackles outside um, outside the hash marks, um, struggling a little bit against big blockers, pulling linemen, um, despite his pretty decent size. Um, and he's a limited a little bit um, – a little bit by scheme. He play, he's going to play probably a strong side outside linebacker, which the way I think about that is like the buck position if the buck position didn't rush the passer. Um, so like a Danny Fennell played kind of a, a similar role to what he played. Um, what's interesting is I've, I've seen a lot of mock draft experts that have said he played out of position all throughout college um, and that he doesn't really fit as a Big 12 linebacker, um, which is just kind of interesting to hear that they're looking at a Big 12 linebacker and saying he's not a Big 12 linebacker. Um, But he improved a lot over the few years. And so I I think if he finds a team that knows how to use him, 
Um, he could be a pretty solid starter, but I'd say he's probably late, late, late day one, early day two kind of guy. I guess I'll go back to a question that I asked you earlier since we're kind of talking about the, the big drop-off between one and two, the big drop-off between two and three, and then we're going to get to all the other guys on the other side of Kenneth Murray here in just a second. But is this just not a great linebacker class coming out of college, or is it, as we talked about earlier, just the demand of the position being different, maybe more specific, and I guess just like less opportunity for guys to come in and excel right away at that position that has only nine guys on your list here? Well, I think one thing – of it is just you just have less guys now um, because you've got defenses using less linebackers. Um, one of the most interesting defensive st- schemes I thought last year um, was the Ravens basically ran a three or a four two five, but not as not with three corners. They basically ran a three safety system, and the only team I've ever seen that used that is the early years of the Steve Spurrier era. He used to do that um, in, at South Carolina. Uh, he would have two linebackers, three or four defensive linemen. He'd have your normal, like, two corners. But then he has two safeties and then an inbox safety. And I think you're seeing a lot of teams that are kind of going that way, which means that I would, um, whereas like 10, 10, 15 years ago, we would list Thomas Davis as a linebacker on our mock draft. This year, a guy that has that exact same statistical profile, um, that same athleticism would be listed as a safety. Um, And and I think that's just a little bit with how offenses are changing. Um, But it it limits the amount of guys that are on um, our linebacking group. Similarly, we had a couple edge rushers that we talked about. um, A couple, I guess, about a week ago maybe, um, that 10 years ago would be listed as linebackers. Um, But I'm not alone in kind of changing um, what what I'm defining a linebacker as. So when I'm talking more just, I mean, other than Isaiah Simmons on here, kind of a a prototypical 4-3 linebacker who's going to stand there in the same position every single time, rarely going to blitz, but he's going to read and diagnose plays from inside the box. and so I think that's what limits it a little bit is not necessarily potential, not necessarily um, talent of the linebacking group, but more just what we would classify them as. And I'm more likely to classify a guy as a safety than a linebacker. Uh, and that's just my personal kind of opinion with it. So the only one of these guys that has that real positional flexibility is Simmons, just given his athleticism. These other guys are, are going to be tried and true linebackers. They're not going to be that you know, third safety that plays closer to the box or even a true safety like we might see Simmons play? There's one guy that I really like that was a, a really under-the-radar pick that is now not an under-the-radar pick at all, um, and, and actually that just works perfectly. Is My next guy on the list is Akeem Davis-Gaither, who before the Senior Bowl was being listed in the, the – 20 to 30 range of linebacker, like maybe undrafted free agent kind of late round pick. And he's just kind of become a trendy pick. Um, and so like I felt I've watched him a lot. Um, I like him a lot. I kind of fell in love with him. And then it was no longer trendy to, or it was no longer kind of under the radar to be like, Hey, this is the guy to watch out for. Cause everybody's like, no, this guy, like watch this guy. Uh, and he's a guy that just because of his athletic profile, could absolutely be used as a safety. He 
he works more as a linebacker. Um, but again, if you do have that defensive coordinator that really just falls in love with him and has some vision for how to use him differently than how he was used in college, you can absolutely find that. Um, and I think you could absolutely see him being used as kind of that big safety, that high back, uh, linebacker safety hybrid um, for a team. Um, but a big fan of his, um, he, he's pretty versatile. He's slightly undersized, but he just makes things happen. Um, and despite being undersized, he had a really good PFF run grade, um, which is something I always look for. It, it doesn't necessarily – it's not meant to translate to the NFL. They're not giving a grade there saying, like, this guy's going to be really good against the run in the NFL. But if you've got that defensive coordinator that's like, we just don't think he can play the run, you do have flashes on tape of him being able to at least hold his own against the run. And, again, if that's all we're looking for because he's, he's really good against the um, – uh, against the pass, and he's probably one of the best special teamers in this linebacker class, which is another thing we're looking for. Is Appalachian State going to have more players drafted than South Carolina this year? No, but I do like a lot of them. Um, the, the, I think they'll have anywhere between three and four guys drafted, um, and I've got South Carolina at about four to five. Um, but I just really like a lot of the um, – at state guys that are coming out, um, especially Darrington Evans and uh, then Akeem Davis Gaither. Hmm. So maybe not as bad for South Carolina fans. I mean, this isn't going to help them at all. For those of you that are still stinging from that loss, uh, it's it's not maybe the worst thing in the world that you lost to App State if they're going to be a bunch of NFL guys, you know, or, or guys that were eventually end up being NFL guys. They still should have won that game for sure. Still had an opportunity there at the end. I don't mean to reopen that wound or relitigate that, but I just thought that's funny because I keep seeing these Appalachian State names pop up on your draft network board. Um, all right, so this will be a, an easy transition then from a couple of the guys that we've talked about into talking about safety as we talk about defensive back, but run through the other five linebackers you have uh, on this list just to round it out. So I've got Willie Gay Jr. from um, Mississippi State. He's really interesting in the fact that he's a great player. He's got exciting tape, um, and he didn't have good production in college or sustained production, not because he wasn't good when he was on the field, but because he had multiple suspensions including breaking his quarterback's eye or, I guess, uh, orbital bone before the bowl game. Um, if anybody remembers that happening with um, Garrett Schrader, he, uh, we don't really have a lot of details from that, but um, we were told that Garrett Schrader was out for the bowl game with a broken orbital bone, and then it later came out that their linebacker was suspended because of a fight involving a teammate and that he may or may not have thrown a punch. Um, so that's definitely a big red flag um but athletically he's really good um we like him it's just it's not just that one instance he was suspended multiple times for a variety of different things um at mississippi state uh, which is obviously never something that you're looking at um as a positive um the only i guess the only positive you could think of is if you're a team that doesn't care about that you might get a really talented guy a little bit lower than um what he should go um, but that is definitely a red flag to look at. Um, then after that, we've got Malik Harrison from um, Ohio State, just kind of another um, just inbox linebacker, stereotypical um, big hitter, struggles a little bit in coverage, and he's absolutely got to be a 4-3 middle linebacker. He's not going to be anything else. Um, so he's, you know, that basically throws out half the league for uh, potential landing spots for him. Um, but his tape's good. 
Um, his production is good. Um, that defense, we're just seeing guys pop up left and right on these draft boards. I don't think people realize how good Ohio State's defense was last year. Um, and then from there, we go to uh, Logan Wilson. We've got a couple uh, Mountain West guys. There's actually another Mountain West guy I didn't throw on here, um, Fresno State linebacker. Can't think of his name right now. Um, didn't put him on this list, but he, he should go probably third or fourth round as well. Um, but Logan Wilson is kind of like a throwback guy. He's 6'2", 245. Um, he struggles in coverage a little bit, but he had over 80 tackles a year and had a PFF grade over 90. Um, so he's going to be a sub-package guy that can come in, play the run really, really well. And I always just think of this, if he goes to the AFC South, plays Derrick Henry twice a year, he is the size of Derrick Henry. So that's something that you're wanting to look at, especially in these middle rounds of can you get a guy that matches up really well with your competition. Um, and, and so I think a team, um, the Colts could use another linebacker. I could see him going to the Colts or something like that. Um, and then we've got Troy Dye from uh, Oregon, another power five guy, uh, sub package guy early because he's not great in coverage, but he's got really, really good range. A lot of his tackles, um, like we said earlier, has a positive to come outside of his kind of um, natural roaming ability. Um, you know, area. Um, he's got really good range. He's going to be able to make tackle sideline to sideline. Um, he's just not the strongest, and he, he's actually smaller than Isaiah Simmons, if we're using um, kind of a comparison there. Uh, he's 6'4", 225, so he looks like a safety. He's just not quite fast enough to be a safety. Um, so that's where we have kind of issues with when we talk about positional flexibility. It's sometimes a good thing, Isaiah Simmons. Maybe not a good thing in Troy Dye when it's the reason you're not fully at that position is because you lack something that you need there. Um, but he's got um, ability. He's got a frame that he can add weight. Um, Oregon just didn't have him bulk up a lot um, just because of the scheme he played in college. So he could add, you know, 15, 20 pounds and be a stereotypical or prototypical uh, linebacker at, um, you know, at the NFL level. And then our last guy would be David Woodward um, from Utah State who – again, is pushed down because of some red flags, not off the field issues, but he's had multiple concussions. He broke a couple vertebrae in high school, um, and he had uh, season-ending surgery last year. Um, so that is definitely a red flag and could push him down draft boards. Um, but he's smart. He doesn't have any really standout weaknesses other than the injuries. Um, so you don't look at his film and go, ah, he needs to get better at that. He needs to get better at that. He's pretty solid overall all-around linebacker. So that does it. That's your smallest group, just nine guys you expect to get drafted next week. Um, Isaiah Simmons, again, maybe even a safety if you want to consider him there. So eight, like, true, true, true guys that are going to come in and just play linebacker and be a linebacker and a Mike linebacker and do all those things that we typically think of with linebackers. Um but to make the transition, as you mentioned, your evaluation process for linebackers and safeties is very similar. You have these just grouped into defensive backs right now, and actually the first two guys on your big board are, are corners before you get into a couple of safeties. So do you? Uh, is it fair to say you evaluate safeties more similarly to linebackers than you do their counterparts in the defensive backfield? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Um, I Just kind of a hobby when I started getting into this, I love – um, evaluating defensive backs. It's probably my favorite thing. The reason is um, when I was doing all, when I was first starting up um, some of the recruiting help uh, and, and things like that that I do, um, I tried to, to get to know a lot of um, a lot of coaches and just 
through happenstance ended up um, getting to know a lot of um, kind of FCS, low FBS uh, DB coaches. Um, talked to them a lot um, and ended up just, I figured, okay, I know a lot of DB coaches. Ended up just, again, randomly ending up with a lot of kids at DB that I was working with um, and figured I needed to get better at evaluating. Um, and so this is probably the position I like to evaluate the most, both corner and safety. Um, and we, we've got some guys that will list as both. Um, there are more than two positions in the defensive backfield. We um, put everybody in corner um, and safety. There's like eight positions uh, at, the, at defensive backfield. And I, I think um, it's a lot easier to tailor a scheme to a guy um, just because I completely – when we say corner, I actually separate from man corner and zone corner um, just because they're so different. Um, I know a lot of teams use um, even the way they line their cornerbacks up is different. A lot of bigger schools use left corner, right corner. Um, that's the way South Carolina does it. They put um, Israel Mukwamu on, on one side. They put J.C. Horn on the other side. You've got some teams that will line up matchup-wise and have their guy um, – follow everything. That's what South Carolina started doing actually against the, the two best teams from an offensive perspective. They played last year, Alabama and Clemson. Um, they went matchup um, and they put JC Horn on a certain guy and Israel Mukawamu on a certain guy. And then if needed, they edited um, within the game. And then you'll see a lot of smaller schools play what's called the field corner and the boundary corner where you've got no matter what side it is, You've got one guy that plays the uh, field side, or if they're on the offense is on one hash mark, the corner will play whatever side there's more room. So um, you have that, and then you've got boundary corner on the other side, um, which is going to play the side closest to the uh, out-of-bounds marker. And, and so the way teams play with their corners, um, even just corners, um, is so different that I don't break things up into corner and safety. That's kind of like the big group that they're going to fit into. But there are so many other small um, positional changes here and there that I like to look at um, because a lot of teams do some really small changes in the NFL. Um, and it can, it can kind of give us some idea of what teams are looking at what players just based on what the college teams had their – their guys do um, and, and ask them to do in college with so much variance amongst the positions. Then, I mean, if there are eight positions of the defensive backfield, what do you do in your evaluation process to sort of standardize it to say, well, this guy's actually the best corner. Is it just the best corner for what he does? Or does that mean that he has the, I guess the, the most skill, the highest skill cap to be as versatile as possible. If he needs to be a man corner, if he needs to be a zone corner, if he needs to be field, if he needs to be boundary, he can do all those things. Or do you just say this guy was asked to play, 80% zone coverage in college, he was the best at it, so he's going to be near the top of my list. There's a little bit of both. Um, I use actually an evaluation process um, that Wofford's defensive back coach uses. Uh, Rob Green's great, great, great coach. I think he's going to end up you know, being a future defensive, uh, defensive coordinator, and if he wants to, can go up to the Power 5 level. Just a really, really smart guy. And he has 13 things that he looks for in defensive backs and he basically has said if you've got six of them you're on our radar if you've got seven of them 
we want you. If you've got eight of them, we're going to make you a priority. If you have nine or ten, he evaluates their current players too. He said he's never had a guy that has nine or ten that hasn't been all-conference. Um, and so it's just basically do you have it, do you not have it? And then from there, if you want to, you can go to a little bit more, okay, well, how good are you at this? But it's just stuff like can you play man coverage? Can you play zone coverage? Um, you know, things like that. Are, are you long? How, um, you know, how long are your arms? Um, do you have height? Do you have speed? Um, do you understand what's, what's happening? Can you process the uh, offensive route tree? Um, different things like that. What's your, what's your play recognition? Um, how do you tackle? Uh, different things like that. And the more of those things a guy has, the higher he goes up the board. Um, once we get into the middle rounds, we're looking for guys that are elite at one or two of those things because some teams don't need you to have all 13 of those. Um, you know, some, some teams play a scheme where you're never, ever going to be asked to play man coverage. Um, not to throw a guy under the bus, but Josh Norman is not a man cover corner. And so he was elite in the Panthers' kind of combo zone coverage scheme. As soon as he went to the Redskins and had to play man coverage, he was very average and not worth his $15 million a year because he was changing schemes there. Um, that's what pushed him down the draft board is mm. he, um, you know, he didn't have that man coverage. And the Panthers said, we don't care. We don't play a lot of man coverage. Um, and so just looking at, at different things like that, you can be the worst man cover corner ever and if your team never plays man coverage, they don't care. Um, and so, you know, when we're looking at that, we're looking at guys that, that are elite in some of those things, you know, hips, feet, um, all of that kind of stuff. And really, in my opinion, if you break it down to that, it's a really easy position to um, evaluate just because it is so – you can make it so formulaic of does he have good feet? Does he have good hips? Does he have good speed? Um, and you can look at that kind of stuff and, and break it down like that. I sent you something a couple of weeks ago that had a breakdown of the top corners, top cornerback prospects in the draft and how much they played sort of by percentage their coverage and, you know, cover two, cover three, and man and press and, and different things like that. So I guess I'll get you to comment on that a little bit as we go through each of those guys here. And the guy on the top of your list and most people's lists that I've seen is Jeff Okuda out of Ohio State. What's the scouting report on Jeff Okuda? He's the best cornerback prospect since um, – Patrick Peterson. Um, that's my opinion, but it's not an unpopular opinion. Um, this guy is just so, so, so good. Um, when we're going through those through those things, it's not just he's getting checks on a lot of them. He's getting check pluses um, on a lot of those uh, different things that we're looking at. His hips are super, super, super solid. What we're talking about there is how do you move? If you you know watch a corner, they obviously start facing the wide receiver, eventually they're going to have to turn around and run with the wide receiver. What is your, how are you changing directions? Can you change directions um, to make a break on a ball? Um, anything like that, because obviously as a corner, you have to be um, able to react because you're not going to be able to tell, even if you know it's a pass play or a run play, a lot of times for a linebacker, it's just, is it a pass play? Is it a run play? If it's a run play, is it left, right, or middle? Um, as a corner, it could be a pass play, and you still have, I think the NFL breaks it down from counting right to 12 different kinds of routes, um, even just like groups of routes. And so at best, you have to memorize and be able to react to 12 different kinds of routes. 
Um, and his, his hips are incredible. Um, just the way he flips in and out of his, his breaks. Um, that, that's one thing that at the, at the combine, he excelled um, in kind of the on-field drills um, with that. He's confident. We love confident borderline cocky corners. Uh, we love that. He's got good speed. He's got good acceleration. Um, he's got good feet. Um, his discipline, somebody asked him and said he could get a little bit sloppy sometimes. I don't know who asked him that. That was a stupid question. Um, but his reply was, I didn't commit a penalty in college. And I was like, oh, that's wow. okay. And I looked it up, and he didn't commit a penalty in college, mm. um, which is, is kind of incredible with how physical he plays. He always has, for whatever reason, it seems like when the ball is in the air, he's going to get there at the exact same time as the ball. Um, so he's not going to make a lot. He's not going to um, have a lot of pass interference penalties. Um, he doesn't get beat deep. Um, he's physical. He can tackle. He can do all of those things. Um, there, there's nothing in his game that suggests he would um, have anything really to work on other than going from great to exceptional in any category. Did he mostly play man at Ohio State? Played a lot of man. Um, I'm looking at this that you sent me the other day just to see. Um, do, do, do. Played, yeah, played a lot of press. Um, 61% in press, which if people don't know press coverage, it's basically instead of playing off, you know, five yards away and reacting, you are standing right over the wide receiver and hitting them before they get out of their break. Um, it's kind of a high risk, high reward if you don't know how to do it. Um, but he's one of the best in college at, at press coverage. He played it a lot um, and then played a lot of um, cover one, um, which would be um, the, the, the cover one, cover two. It just depends on how you, what you're talking about. But a lot of cover one is going to be one deep safety. Um, so he played a lot of, uh, of cover one, which means he didn't have a lot of safety help in college. And that's a good thing because he was basically on an island the entire time, so he got used to not having uh, help, which he might not if he's going to some of these teams near the top of the draft that are pretty bad. Uh, what would be a good landing spot for him, the teams that are probably going to be looking at him, you know, top 10, top 8, top 7, wherever he's projected to go, uh, that are going to play a lot of man coverage and be able to take advantage of his particular skill set? I think the Lions would be absolutely crazy not to, um, not to draft him. Uh, I, I think that's pretty obvious. The only thing that I could think of is if some team behind the Lions comes up with this massive trade package um, for a quarterback, that's the only way I could see the, the Lions um, not taking him. Because actually he's got kind of a, I, I guess this is a lower end um, comparison, but I've seen a lot of people comparing him kind of to Darius Slay, who used to be on the Lions, um, that uh, relationship kind of deteriorated a little bit. Um, but they like to play a lot of man coverage. They like to play a lot of press, and they have a lot of trust in their corners. Um, and so I think putting him on the lines would be a perfect fit. Um, if not, uh, love to see the Panthers take him um, because there's no way he and Isaiah Simmons last that long. Um, but if he were to fall, um, you could see really any team would benefit from him that needs some sort of defender. Uh, the only, only reason I would say somebody wouldn't pick him is if they like a defensive end a little bit more or they have to go offense. 
I know I ask you this question every time, but I'm just always curious, especially when you have someone, we just talked about Simmons and now talking about Okuda that are so, so good at their position. What's the gap between Okuda and then sort of the next group of, you got CJ Henderson, you got Christian Fulton from from LSU, and then Okuda's running mate at Ohio State and Damon Arnett. Um, So this group is actually pretty solid. I like this group a lot. Um, It's just, it has nothing to do with the other three, how far above he is. Um, when you're, you're really talking about a once-in-a-decade prospect, uh, Patrick Peterson was, what, 2011? So we're, we're nine years since we've had a guy this good um, come out in the draft. Um, I don't want to put expectations too high on Akuda, but he really could be top five corner in the league this year, uh, depending on where he, where he goes, what opportunities he gets. Um, but that doesn't mean the other guys aren't good. I like C.J. Henderson a lot. Um, the guy, um, we like Florida defensive backs, um, going back to the Will Muschamp days there. Um, they put out a lot of defensive backs. His thing is he's crazy athletic. Um, he's long, he's not big. So he's got some room to add a little bit of weight. Um, cause he does get, get pushed around a little bit when he ends up getting, um, getting up against taller receivers. Um, his Miami tape was not that great. Um, end of last year didn't have to be good because, uh, People remember from our uh, defensive line talk, the defensive line that day just dominated. Um, but he, he's not a great tackler, which on the list of things that I want my corners to be, if I have to choose between athletic and really good in man coverage and can tackle, I'm choosing athletic and really good in man coverage, and that's where C.J. Henderson is. Um, so I could see um, maybe a team like the Vikings um, a little bit later if he lasts that long. Um, or actually, let me, let me see where I have him. Um in my mock draft, but I really like, um, really like Henderson. And then um, I really like Arnett and Fulton. Um, I think Arnett's kind of your overall solid guy. His biggest weakness is that he wasn't the best in his team. Um, so that's not really a weakness. It's just, he didn't play a lot of um, the other guys, number one or the other team's number one guy, because you've got Jeff Okuda on the other side, locking that down. Um but he's really, really solid. Doesn't really have a lot of uh, weaknesses in his game. He doesn't. He also doesn't stand out of looking at this thing and going, "Wow, he's just the best at this." Um, but at corner, you want a guy that's really solid um, at, at a lot of things, and, and he's definitely one of those guys. Is that where you uh, and then, cut off the second group, or, or do you put? Oh, sorry, I guess you got to do Fulton too. And, and do you put AJ Terrell in that group too? And, and how far down does this does this group go? Sort of the second class of corner prospects this this group i actually have extending into the second round and and i've kind of um put this group if i were to like name it i would say no obvious weaknesses um it it means they're not jeff lakuda um and then maybe don't stick out with like one trait that's just elite 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 but they don't have anything that is going to um push their draft stock down as oh he can't do this he can't do this um, we, we've got a lot of things on here that, um, or a lot of guys on here that are going to be pretty solid and don't have an obvious weakness in their game. Um, so same thing with Fulton. He's, he's got, um, good technique. And then he's got, if he did have an issue, it would be, he's not great with the ball in the air, which according to a lot of defensive back coaches I talked to is easily correctable. Um, th- there's some level of, um, I, I guess natural ability there. Um, but he just looks a little bit awkward once the ball is thrown a lot of times. Um, and so you're going to see 
every once in a while on tape, a guy go up over him and make a really nice catch. Um, but he, he's pretty good, um, and he, he can press, and he can do all those things, so there's no obvious weakness in his game either. The ninth-ranked defensive back, and I guess the one, two, three, four, five, sixth-ranked cornerback is from Auburn. His first name is Noah. How good are you at saying his last name? Um, About as good as Gus Malzahn, which is to say not good. <laughs> um, Gus Malzahn actually in his introductory press conference didn't say his last name. He said, like, we have this really – we uh, signed this really good corner named Noah and just ignored the, ignored his last name the whole time. I've got a pronunciation here. It, it's is it Igbenogany? Igbenogany. Igbenogany. Yeah. All right, cool. Igbenogany. Um, How many teams he, are not going to want to draft him because they don't want to make their GM try to say that via Zoom? At, at this point, you just say Iggy or, <laughs> or something like that. Um, he, he's really interesting because um, he's only played corner for two years. Um so when I said corner, he was actually a wide receiver when he went to, to Auburn and transitioned to corner. And he's got all of the physical tools that you want. Um, he's exciting. He makes big plays on tape, but he is extremely raw. Um, and he's going to need a coach to basically one-on-one work with him for about six months before he can be trusted really with a lot of, um, with a lot of one-on-one um, opportunities. That being said, he's got all the physical tools. Um, and as a former receiver, he's got good ball skills. Um, so if you have a team that's patient, that will work with him, that's a great landing spot. The problem is how high are you willing to go to draft a guy that you know is not going to be able to contribute much your first, his first year? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're trying to draft a guy in the first round and you basically say, yeah, he's not going to help us year one. And it's not something like Tua where maybe you just want to be careful with his injury. Um, I know a lot of teams that wouldn't want to do that. So I could see him early day two. Um, But he's another guy that because we don't have a lot of insight as to what GMs are thinking, you could very easily have a GM, you know, 22, 23 and say, yeah, we're going to take a chance on this guy because we just love his tools. As we go through the rest of the corners, uh, we started on that. We'll go through the rest of the guys you have here and then uh, circle back to safeties because you do have a lot of safeties ranked higher than some of these corners that we've already talked about. But this, I'm, I'm noticing a similar trend as the defensive line where this is basically all Power 5 guys and mostly SEC guys. Is that just because the best athletes out of high school oftentimes are defensive backs that go to the biggest schools and then they become the best prospects? Or does it have more to do with relative level of competition, which felt like it was sort of the case with defensive line just because the offensive lines are so good in the Power 5 conferences, you get a better idea of the guys that are going to be more NFL-ready in those Power 5 conferences. So this is just a, I don't want to say guess, but kind of an observation. Um, and especially when I'm evaluating guys, I really like long, tall, fast corners. Um, and so if you've got a guy that's 6'1", can run, um, and isn't like 150 pounds, he's going to usually, I'd say this, I, I know a lot of guys I'm working with that aren't ending up at Power 5 schools that are like that. Um, but you're going to, that's going to skew more towards your power five school Um, corner and defensive end are probably the two easiest uh, positions to just look at and not even look at film and go, you're a cornerback and you're probably really good at it. Um, Because if you look at some of these guys in a room, you would be able to, um, there's kind of a running joke of um, I've got, my mom has several friends that will just be out 
and we'll see somebody that looks athletic and we'll like send a picture and say, okay, you know, ask Will who this is. And I'm like, I don't know who that is. But a lot of times you look at him and go, yeah, I have no idea who he is, but he plays cornerback at the the college level or the Mm -hmm. NFL level because you can just tell. Um, And so because of that, a lot of these guys are in between that six foot, six foot three range, um, long arms, long strides, uh, run really well pretty good quickness and you can just kind of tell. And so you end up with a lot of these guys that do skew towards, um, you know, towards your power five schools. So to jump back into the list now, Noah Igbenogany is probably a, a, a pretty solid second round guy, or not second round, second day guy. Is that fair to say? Probably. Yeah. All right. So where's your uh, cutoff for day two? You have uh, Jeff Gladney, Trayvon Diggs and, and uh, Bryce Hall as the next three guys. Are those also day two guys in your opinion? I think so. Um, Bryce Hall is really interesting because coming out of 2018, it was looking like he could be a top 10 pick. And then he just had a bad year last year. Um, He he just wasn't very good. He didn't stand out on tape. Nothing really exciting um, in his tape. And he played more uh, more zone um, than what he's used to. Um, But he's got great length, great ball skills. He's physical. The question is, who are you getting? Are you getting the guy that just made – this is bad memories for South Carolina, but uh, that really um, made a lot of offenses in 2018 look bad. Or are you getting the guy that kind of disappears on tape in 2019? Uh, And and so that's the question. But if you're, again, he's a guy that if you're looking at a corner and you're like building one, that's a robot, um, it would be him because he's long, he's tall, um, he's physical. He can play the ball in the air. Um, A lot of times, um, in some of his better reps, you'll see him run the um, run the route for the offensive player and just totally end up in the right position. Um, we really like that. And the other two guys, uh, Trayvon Diggs, Jeff Gladney, uh, you have them listed over Bryce Hall. Are, are they just more refined products or, and, and similarly physically imposing it in the kind of this is what you would want out of a cornerback, or are these guys with just a more proven track record? Um, a little bit of both. I'm not a huge fan relative to what other people say of Jeff Gladney. Um, A lot of people I'm seeing like 20th to 25th um, as high as as that in the first round. I don't know if I would take him there. I think he probably will go first round. Um, But I'm just not as big a fan. Um, He doesn't stand out on tape as much um, to me. Um, He's super athletic, played three sports in high school, He's just not a guy that I look at and go, man, I really like this guy. Is that hips? Are you just looking at the overall upside? Does he not have good ball skills? Like, what are the what are the kinds of things that you look at when you're evaluating the defensive back that I guess makes a guy pop, and then conversely, when someone doesn't do that, makes them not pop on film? So on, on film, he's a little hesitant in a lot of areas, um, and kind of willing to give up a catch and then just kind of sit back and make a tackle eventually on plays that he could probably, you know, drive through and make a big hit and break, break up a pass or maybe even jump around and get an interception. Um, and he, um, he, he's not super physical when he's not asked to be, which, which is something that you can, you can fix, but it's almost like he has two different styles. It's like, okay, we're pressing on this play. I'm going to be physical. And then he's not pressing. So he's just going to completely lay back almost in like what you would see is like a prevent defense um, of I'm just not going to jump around. I'm not going to, um, you know, do a lot to, to go through the hips of this um, receiver. I'm just going to kind of sit back and, and, you know, I'm supposed to play off defense, so I'm going to play off. So maybe 
uh, I guess, aggression. You talked about risk-taking at the linebacker position, and, and you mentioned kind of the, the opposite of that, where if you are a corner and you take too many chances, you're going to give up touchdowns, and that's going to be bad for you, bad for your team. Uh, but it seems like going too far in the other direction and, and being too conservative as a defensive back is also going to cost you points, at least in Wilhelm's evaluation. Yeah, I want to see guys that are borderline overly confident, especially at the corner position. Um, it, it, I guess this is a weird analogy, but um, after Ryan Holinsky threw just an incredible touchdown pass to Shai Smith against Alabama, um, Matt Hinton, who's a, a college football writer, said that he really hates that coaches kind of tend towards not being aggressive at the quarterback position. Um, and, and that is almost like um, guys earlier in their career are more likely to make or to be willing to make mistakes. Mm. Um, so they're more likely to throw into tight coverage, but to trust their arm a little bit versus, you know, later in their career, they'll say, okay, you know, I'm just going to kind of take a loss on this play, run outside the pocket, throw it away. And you don't see as many exciting plays. Um, and, and you kind of just see kind of an average, okay, you know, whatever. I like to see guys that are good and know they're good and think they can make almost every play at the cornerback position. Because to me, those guys, first of all, just from a non-football perspective, they're just exciting to watch. Um, and then second of all, I want to see my, my defensive backs assuming they're not going to give up any yardage. Uh, I, I just really like that. I don't like to see guys sit back and say, well, I'll give up a catch here and there because it's, it's inevitable. It's going to happen. I want to see guys that are going to, have a borderline yeah i'm not giving up a catch all season um and there are some guys especially at the high school level that you do see that um and, and i really like that um and so i do want to see some aggression um i think it's got to be controlled aggression you can't jump around if you have no safety help but if you've got safety help i think it's you know pick and choose your your spots to um try to make a big play mm-hmm. yeah that's what the safety help is for and i think swag is probably a bigger asset at, at, at defensive back and probably at corner than any other position in football. I just, I, I love it. Like I remember when South Carolina signed John Dixon, I guess uh, last year, cause he was a freshman this past year. I was so excited because he's a South Florida guy and we know the defensive backs from South Florida have a lot of swag. And I mean, he was starting on day one and still has a long way to go to, you know, progress into an every down starting kind of corner at South Carolina. But it seemed like coming in, he at least had that part of it, which I just, again, I, I, I'm with you. I love that in defensive backs. Uh, it reminds me of Chris Lamont, who, if he was three inches taller, would be just an elite uh, NFL corner because of that South Florida, you know, that, that swag. And, um, you know, I, I really like that. I like Fenton um, with that. Um, so, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. You got three more guys here in the cornerback part of your list. You have Cameron Dantzler, you have Troy Pride Jr. from Notre Dame, and then it's it's so fitting because I think you like Lamar Jackson more than everyone except for probably like Mr. and Mrs. Jackson and, you know, maybe John Harbaugh now. But you have cornerback Lamar Jackson from Nebraska. Those are the last three guys on your list. Are those still day two guys or are we now into day three? Um, So the first two guys are day two guys, probably. Um. So Cameron Danzler, um, he's tall, he's long, um, he's a little thin. He, he's at 185, 6'2", 6'3", 185. Um, and he could be a little bit more consistent, but I'm a fan of Cam Danzler, and I like long and athletic corners. So especially if you're taking a you know, third-round risk on a corner, I'm okay with a guy like that because he does bring so much potential upside um, to that. Um, 
obviously this is not an exhaustive list. There are going to be more corners that go, um, especially later. Um, wanted to throw Troy Pride on there. Um, he's a South Carolina guy. Went to Greer High School. Um, so like him on there. And he's our really first corner on here that doesn't fit the super tall, super long mold of a lot of the corners that you're seeing today. Um, you know, five years ago even, seeing a um, 5'11 corner is normal. Now it's almost everybody's six foot. Um, I know a lot of coaches in college put like 5'10", 5'11", as that threshold of like we want to see you at least at that height. Um, so he's not the tallest, but I think he can absolutely manage, and he's really fast and quick. He just needs to be able to learn how to use that. Um, his, his hips and feet aren't great. So his athletic ability gives him a lot more upside for the, the feet and hips. They should be better than what they are um, based on his athletic profile. He's not limited by, I'm just not fast enough, so this is as good as my feet are going to get or my hips are going to get. Um, if he could, use, he could use a little bit more coaching there, um, and he could be a really nice outside corner, maybe even nickel corner for a team, um, a team there because his technique is pretty good as far as playing the hands, as far as pressing, um, playing in man, he, he's pretty good technique-wise. Just could use a little bit of refinement in some of those transitions with feet and, uh, and hands, or feet and hips and things like that. Um, and then our last guy, Lamar Jackson, um, I threw him on here. He's my favorite day three guy. Um, there are going to be a lot of other day three guys. I've seen him mocked as late as the seventh round. Um, when I do a lot of mock drafts for the Panthers and I see him there in the fifth or sixth round, I like to try to pick him up. Um, because his one thing on tape is how does he stack up speed-wise? He doesn't seem that fast. And then he went um, at the combine and ended up um, running well. Um, not the, the fastest guy in the world, um, but relative to what we thought he was going to, um, he ran pretty well. I'm trying to look up exactly what um, what speed he was. Um but that was like the, the question mark. And I always like guys that, that come in with maybe an athletic deficiency or maybe there's a, um, you know, just something that, that teams are looking at going, oh, we don't like that as much. And then they disprove that when they go to the combine. Um, and, and that's kind of the thing. Um, people were expecting him to maybe run in the four sevens and he ran in the four fives um, and had a pretty decent vertical, pretty decent broad jump. Um so athletically is what people were saying. Hey, he's just not the most athletic, but he's six foot two, two hundred and five pounds, um, and did play you know at the power five level. Um, so there's not competition issues there or anything like that. Um, I really like him as a day three prospect. I think he's pretty refined, um, and especially if the athleticism is the issue there, and he proves the athleticism at the combine. No, he's not going to be a ridiculously just pop-off-the-page athletic guy, but he's got a lot of the other things that you like, um, especially from a day-three guy, um, that would maybe push you a little bit uh, in his direction. And he shares his name with your favorite player, right? That had something to do with it. 100% that's the reason I started looking into him. Good, I knew it. Um, <laughs> I, I was doing mock drafts. I go, Lamar Jackson, okay, let's look at this guy. I started watching tape on him and stuff like that. <laughs> that's great. All right, so your top day three guy, and then as you mentioned, some other guys that will kind of be towards the end of day three. Uh, right now your list ends at uh, 18, and so we're going to circle back to the top and hit the safeties now. You have Xavier McKinney from Alabama and Grant Delpit at the top. I've seen Grant Delpit 
ranked ahead of McKinney. I've seen McKinney ahead of Delpit. You have McKinney ahead of Delpit. Are these guys interchangeable, or are you pretty comfortable that McKinney's a better safety prospect than Delpit? They're very different, um, which which is makes it difficult to compare the two. Um, McKinney is freakishly athletic, plays multiple positions, can play corner, can play safety, can play off ball, can play on ball, can play in the box, just all this kind of different stuff. And does all of it well. He's good at a lot of those positions. Um, and so if you've got a team that wants to use him and can use him in a way that utilizes his strengths, he's a better uh, safety prospect. Then you've got Grant Delpit that's not as versatile. He's a safety. He's either an off-ball strong safety or kind of a center fielder free safety, and those are the only two positions he's going to be. But he's elite at both of them. And, and so I particularly, if I'm drafting for my team, I would put Delpit above McKinney. As far as projecting in general into the NFL, I think McKinney, depending on where he ends up, probably has just a little bit more upside. Um, but Delpit does remind me a lot of Jamal Adams um, from a couple of years ago, um, who went top 10 and is probably the best safety in the league right now. Um, so his 2018 was actually better than his 2019. Um, and I've seen him slipping down boards for whatever reason. Um, but I'm a big fan of uh, Delpit. And I think that, um, that he can be really, really good. The one thing that's interesting is in 2018, he had a really good year and then broke his collarbone, uh, broke his left collarbone. In 2019, he's always been a big hitter. He's been, uh, has great reactions, can read and diagnose plays. He's got everything you want from a safety. Um, he's a big hitter when he goes to his left. Um, when you think about that, when you want to, when you're tackling, you want to get your head ahead of the, um, the guy with the ball. So let's say it's a run play, the running back is running um, to his left, the defense is right, the defender wants to hit with his left shoulder because he doesn't want to um, – he wants to put as much of his body in between the ball carrier and the end zone. Um, so he's going to hit with his left shoulder so that he can get most of his body ahead of the uh, running back. Even if he doesn't wrap up completely, um, he's going to be able to push him backwards versus – if you tackle behind the running back, you've got one arm trying to stop them from getting to where the running back's trying to go. Um, when he's going to his right, he's the hardest hitting safety prospect in the class. Um, when he can get his right shoulder to hit, um, to hit ball carriers, um, he's elite. He's always going to lean in with his right shoulder. He's right-handed, so, I mean, that's normal. When he has to tackle left-handed, there's a little bit of apprehension there. And so the question is, is that just kind of a mental hurdle that he's trying to get over with that broken collarbone? Um, I broke my collarbone in high school. It took me three years to get over. Um, you know, I still put on my shirt a different way because I broke my collarbone in high school and had to change how I put shirts on. Hmm. And so is it something that's just a little bit apprehensive uh, and he'll be fine in a year? Or is it something where there's a lingering effect with his shoulder um, that's going to cause him to not be 100% for most of his career. That's really the question with Delpit. Um, if it's not an injury concern, if he's going to be fine and he can go back to that 2018, he's an elite uh, corner prospect or safety prospect. 
That's a heck of a nugget, and I haven't heard that anywhere else, and that's why people should be listening to Gamecock Central GM because that's, uh, that's really good stuff. And even with the, the, the personal touch, the personal insight, I hate, how'd you break your collarbone? Uh, I was playing a non-pad football mm. outside. So, yeah, it was not fun. Man, yeah, that doesn't sound fun. I I don't envy you. I, a friend of mine broke his collarbone. He got like – he he like he was skiing and fell down, and then somebody coming behind him was like out of control and just like ran over him with skis and broke his collarbone that way. I just thought that sounded pretty pretty terrible. I, uh, I'm knocking on wood right now. I've not done that. That sounds um, really, really horrible and also incredibly inconvenient, even more than uh, I think some other broken bones go. So that's uh, that's Absolutely. unfortunate. But a, a great nugget on Delpit there. That's really interesting. Now, you obviously watch a lot more film than I do. You know how to break this down. As, as you mentioned, you talk to a lot of coaches, you know, position coaches, head coaches, whatever, people that are drafting. You talk to a lot of people. You know more about this evaluation process than I do. But just as someone that otherwise watches a lot of football – Delpit has always popped off the screen to me more than McKinney. Um, so it was interesting to see McKinney listed higher on your list, but it makes sense. And also interesting to, to hear you say that you probably personally would take Delpit ahead of McKinney, but that McKinney may end up being, if not a better pro, someone that pros look at and, and project a lot of upside and so value a little bit more in the draft process. But I mean, Delpit, Delpit's one of those guys that you watch and you're like, yeah, that dude. That is that's a safety, like tried and true. Like you said, he he plays two positions and he plays them both really well. Yeah, uh, so definitely more refined. Um, McKinney can probably help a team um, if they can use him right as kind of an inbox safety outbox. You you know move him around a lot, um, which teams do like they like versatility a lot. A little bit of a gap it looks like uh, between McKinney and Antoine Winfield Jr. from Minnesota. And then uh, after him, you have Jeremy Chen and Kyle Duggar before finishing off your list with Ashton Davis. Do you kind of group those guys similarly, or is it kind of that gap where you have Antoine Winfield sort of by himself, and then you have Chen and Duggar, and then you have Davis? So this is one where I put a lot of my personal opinion into it. Um, Ashton Davis is a guy that's a lot higher on a lot of some other guys' um, draft boards. To me, the one thing that, that hurts him is he's going to play safety, but he can't play single high safety. So you can only play cover two, cover three, um, cover four. You're not going to be able to play a lot of cover one cover or cover zero where you put him in center field and say, all right, you know, go play the ball. He just doesn't have the athleticism to do that. Um, and so that kind of drives him down my board a little bit. But if you have a team that that doesn't matter to, then he's going to be a really great safety um, kind of in the mold of Delpit. Um, some of the other guys, I like uh, Antoine Winfield a lot. A lot of people know his dad played for Minnesota, was actually one of my favorite corners growing up when I was like five, uh, <laughs> when I you know, watched a lot of football. Really, really good corner. It's interesting, he plays safety. Um, just because he's a little bit bigger, his dad was 5'9", and he's um, six foot. So... Um, it's really interesting looking at him on film because he does fit more as a, um, as a safety, plays strong safety um, in, college, in college. He's going to play strong safety in the pros. But he does have every once in a while when you put him in man coverage, you can look at him and go, he looks like his um, like, um, could play corner. Um, and so he, he wouldn't be the best corner. He would probably drop him down draft boards if he did play corner. But he does have that little bit of, um, I guess you could say, blood uh, to play corner. Uh, because you could tell just a little bit some of the techniques, some of the things he does are really refined as a corner. And you can tell that his dad, you know, kind of um, has worked with him there and, 
and, and that he's got a little bit of that in him. Um, so we like him a lot. Um, he can play as a nickel too, which is what we really like, especially in college. We see a lot of guys that are um, recruited as South Carolina does this probably more than any team recruits guys as safeties and then plays them as corners their first year. Um, I think of a guy like Jamie Robinson. Um, that's something that a lot of teams would be able to do is if you want to work with him a little bit more at, at strong safety, you could totally use him as a nickel corner um, in his first year or two as he transitions um, to the NFL level at safety. And the other two guys uh, that are sort of stuck in between there, uh, again, uh, Davis sounds like a very interesting prospect and, and probably where he lands will have as much to do with where he gets drafted or you know what team wants him because it sounds like if the 49ers want to spend – you know, a, a late first round pick on him. It sounds like he'd be perfect for their system, given that they play a lot of zone, a lot of cover three would be good in a system like that. But if it's not them, then it may be a little bit uh, farther in the draft. Uh, and then you just went over Winfield and all of his credentials there. And so the other two guys that you have, again, sort of stuck in the middle on your big board, but may end up being the last two of these uh, that we've talked about drafted are Jeremy Chin and Kyle Duggar. Yeah. So Jeremy Chin is a guy that has been a really popular name. Um, he's always in the right place. Um, his production numbers are absolutely ridiculous um, in college. He, he had at least – he was a four-year starter and had at least three interceptions and five pass breakups every year in college. Um, played the run really well. Uh, but he's really going to be a read-and-react safety. You play him 10 yards off the ball and say, go hit somebody when they have the ball. You know, go uh, – you know, wait for a guy to come into your zone and go make a play on the ball when it's thrown – um, we really like that a lot. And he's pretty big. He's got some, um, some opportunity to um, put on a little bit of weight, maybe play a little bit of inbox linebacker or, or that kind of inbox safety, um, you know, that third safety that um, the Ravens play with a lot. He's got some of that potential, too, at 6'3", 220. Uh, the one thing is just he's really inconsistent in man coverage. Um, which we're fine with if you're playing at strong safety because it's not very often that strong safeties act to play a lot of man coverage. And when they are, it's usually on a blitz when they're not going to have to play man coverage for very long. I got to talk about real quick Kyle Duggar just because he's probably my favorite mid-round prospect in the draft. Um, Local guy, Lenore Ryan, um, long, athletic, fast, quick, elite feet, hips, change of direction, can play any DB spot. Um, He's Raw. That's basically it. Um, he's got everything that you can't teach. Um, so if you get a, D, a really good DB coach that can work with him and teach him how to play the hands, some of the, some of the intricacies of the corner slash safety position, he could play any of them. I see him as a free safety. I see him as a Panther. I would be very upset if he does not end up as a Panther. Um, I'm thinking third round that um, Panthers have two third round picks. I think the first one needs to go to Kyle Duggar. Um, I don't think it's it's a hard um, hard decision to make there. I think you make the pick, you get extremely happy, and then you see him play really well for a few years um, or a lot of years, really, because I just think he's he's that good. He's just not going to be able to contribute year one. Hmm. So a team like the Panthers that is rebuilding would love to be able to get him out there because he's not going to cost you a playoff position because the Panthers aren't making the playoffs. Um, so <laughs> to see him play at a team that really can deal, if, if a team can afford to have some, some lapses in coverage or um, some mistakes here and there and can deal with that, 
they're going to get an elite prospect um, from all of those different um, different intangible, uh, not necessarily intangible, non-teachable things. He's got the speed. He's got the, the length. Um, he's got a ridiculously good vertical jump, broad jump. Um, his three-cone was awesome. Uh, just really took the combine by storm and went from maybe a sixth-round pick to about a third-round pick to the point where I don't know if he's going to be around in the third round uh, when the Panthers pick seventh in the third round. Um, but we'll see. So really big fan of Kyle Duggar. Um, and then other things, since we just didn't hit him, um, didn't really have a lot of time to hit any specialists um, in this. I do um, do expect there to be a couple punters punters drafted uh joseph charleston i think would be the first punter drafted um and, and i could see him fifth round fourth round um being drafted there not much to say about a punter he's got a good leg he had a couple rushing attempts that's cool i guess yeah um, wouldn't either wouldn't yeah, carolina's leading rusher in the texas a&m game or for at least half the game yeah he was with 13 yards yikes <laughs> good for him though i guess put that on the on the top of his draft highlight reel uh, any other specialists you wanted to get to? Um, that's that's really it's not a big deal, honestly. I think to a lot of people, but yes, Joseph Charlton is a guy that I would say would probably be drafted first of the specialists. Yeah. Got a couple kickers out there that might be that might be drafted. Uh, Rodrigo Blankenship, um, we saw him. Uh, I always think it's really funny um, that the number one thing that I hear when talking about Blankenship is he's super clutch. He made just about every big kick um, that he could make, except the one that I saw in person, um, you know, between the hedges against South Carolina. I just find that kind of funny. But, um, but yeah, uh, I think he'll be drafted. Um, I think Joseph Charleston will be drafted. Um, I do think uh, Texas A&M has either a punter or a kicker. I can't remember. Um, he'll probably be drafted. So it'll be an SEC-heavy kicking draft. There you go. SEC, a lot of things have you. SEC defensive back, SEC defensive line. We're going to talk about a bunch of SEC wide receivers and a couple of SEC quarterbacks next week. SEC's uh, good at football, and we'll just leave it at that. That wraps it up for the defensive backs and for the entire defense. One side of the ball down. We just have quarterbacks and wide receivers left to do, and we're going to do that next week. Um, again, draft in just six days from when we're recording this, so we, we're getting in just in the nick of time there. And uh, for those of you that are wondering about Will's process, obviously a, a lot of great stuff in here, a lot of you know good evaluations, and not just from you watching tape. You know, it's conversations, as I mentioned, that you're having with coaches at all levels and, and conversations that you're having. If you want to get a little bit of an insight as to how Will works when he's watching these things, he's been streaming them on Twitch, prep underscore RA. And I know your schedule's been a little bit uh, flexible here, just kind of basically whenever you have the bandwidth available to make sure that you're giving a good quality stream. So just stay tuned to his Twitter at WHelms21 to see when he's streaming. And if you're someone that's interested in this beyond just the curiosity of, hey, I'm curious about this NFL prospect, if you're wondering about your own prospects to continue playing whatever sport at the next level or someone you know is interested in continuing whatever sport at the next level, prep-ra.com is where Will can help you guys break down film, uh, can help you with uh, tutoring and SAT and ACT prep because you want to make sure that you're taking care of the academic side of it as well. Um, Will, I don't know how you balance all these things, again, in day-to-day life. In quarantine, it's like you have more time, and it still feels like your schedule is incredibly full, um, but you got a lot going on, and, and it's it's a, it's a lot of really cool stuff, and I'm, I'm really glad that you're doing it. I don't really know anybody else that's exactly in this space, you know, offering as much as you do for free on Twitch just for people to come watch you break down film of a lot of these guys, and then obviously what you do with Prep RA, which is just a, a tremendous, tremendous amount of work with 
you know, the tutoring, subject-specific, SET, ACT, standardized testing, film breakdowns, all sorts of things. Prep-RA.com is, is where you can check out all of that. So, um, Will, thank you for doing that. Uh, thank you for doing this podcast. It's it's just tremendous. And I, I, this is fun for you, right? Or is this work? Oh, I love it. Okay, good. Um, th- this is, the way I've been describing it is it's an opportunity for me to do this with a purpose versus just doing it with no purpose whatsoever. Um, so that's good. There you go. As the Joker said, if you're good at something, never do it for free. Uh, unfortunately, we do this podcast for free, so if y'all want to help support it, rate, review, subscribe to this and everything on the Gamecock Central Podcast Network. We have another Carolina podcast. We have the Hard Foul. We have our final episodes of this, Gamecock Central GM, which we're obviously going to be wrapping up next week before the NFL draft. And then before we know it, football season will hopefully, fingers crossed, be here and we'll have a lot more football to talk about with will in the fall but uh will thank you so much we'll talk to you next week thank you all for listening and uh, we'll talk to you soon with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.